data shows nearly 50% of our time, our minds are on an activity other than what we're doing. And we are measurably less happy than the people who are present in the moment doing the thing we're doing. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and today I have with me Andrew McConnell. Now, Andrew is the Chief Executive Officer of Rented Inc., which is the leading provider of technology tools and services to help vacation rental professionals optimize their portfolio of properties. Prior to launching Rented, McConnell founded and ran Vacation Futures Inc., as well as Rented Capital LLC, and worked with some of the world's largest public and private entities as a management consultant at McKinsey & Company. McConnell also has been active in numerous nonprofit and professional organizations, including Sheltering Arms, Georgia's oldest charity for which he currently sits on the board and chairs the financial sustainability community. The Entrepreneurs Organization, for which he was an EO Atlanta board member and EO Atlanta Accelerator board member, the Young Entrepreneur Council, Atlanta Tech Leaders, for which he was a founding advisory board member, and many other organizations. Andrew also writes frequently and is a contributor to Forbes, as well as the Huffington Post and other outlets. A former member of the U.S. national team in open water swimming, McConnell received his A.B. in history from Harvard a former team member of the U.S. national team in open water swimming, McConnell received his B.A. in history from Harvard University and his J.D. from Harvard Law School. He also received his L.L.M. from the University of Cambridge, Trinity Hall. But today on the Author's Corner, we're not talking much about any of that. The topic for today with Andrew is his new book, Get Out of My Head, Creating Modern Clarity with Stoic Wisdom. And in this interview, you will hear Andrew speak of how thoughts sneak into our heads that are not serving us or productive and need to go. And he came upon this realization during the pandemic when he realized that he was getting sucked into the wormhole of social media and Twitter and what he termed as doom scrolling. And he realized that it was worse than real estate, that we are becoming mind renters, that we've given away our mind to others' problems and worries. And the fact is, that the only thing we can control is our minds. And Andrew's going to talk to us about how we do live in this era of constant distraction. And he will share three buckets that we give our minds away to and the importance of being present. And we will also talk a little bit 
about Andrew's book writing process and the three themes that he's identified that show up for authors in the process of writing their books. So lots and lots of value to hear. So I would say, put down your phone and sit back and be present for Andrew's interview today. So Andrew, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you so much, Robin. It is a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you. And as I was looking at your, well, what I could see of your book, because as we're recording this, your book won't be out for a few more months, but you know, it definitely captured my imagination and my attention of what I did see of it. Because if I just think about a typical day, right? How many times is something sneaking into my head that is not serving me, is not productive? <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, nope. And it doesn't need to be dealt with, right? Like it doesn't right. need a therapy session. It just needs to go. Right. <laughs> and so anyways, I've been really excited to have you here to share with us some of these insights. But before we get to your insights, I would love to know what even made you think of this idea to even write about this? Because it seems like such a personal thing, although it's so universal. It was very personal. And then kind of learning how universal it was, was what led to the genesis of the book. But it was as... COVID was just hitting the US very early in 2020. I was speaking to a friend of mine from college who's one of the top global real estate investors, started one of the biggest real estate funds, and then as a VC and has public companies, all this in the space. And we were talking about how he saw that we would have a generation of renters that would never be able to afford a home because when they got out of school, they got hit by the financial crisis. And then right as they got built again, things were tanking at that time yet again in the market with COVID. He's saying these people just have never been able to accumulate wealth to build real estate assets and, and have their own home. And I kind of left that conversation. I was ruminating on it. And I saw myself checking the Johns Hopkins data on COVID constantly. My wife on CNN updates and BBC. And you know, at the time, Trump was in office and tweets could come out every 15 minutes. And people doom scrolling, you know, was a phrase for a while. And something hit me that actually we had something way worse than real estate tenancy going on, that we were becoming mine renters. Mm. That we we didn't weren't just gonna have a generation of people who rented properties for life, but they were gonna rent their own mind. We'd given away our mind mm. to these events outside of our control, to other people, to what people said or didn't say or did or didn't do. And that really bothered me. And so then kind of was reading Marcus Aurelius and Victor Frankl and these other people and realized, you know, this was not a new idea, right? Like <laughs> there's totalism and Buddhism and Stoicism. Sure, uh, sure. Unhappiness comes from trying to control what we can't control. And by definition, the only thing we can control is our own mindset and our own mind. And as I was studying that, I started talking to some incredible people like person who ran training for the Navy SEALs, like mm. Kat Cole, who went from being a Hooters hostess to running global brands in the food <laughs> industry, to Bernice King, who runs the Martin Luther King Jr. Center. Sure. And they had taken some of these same principles and really put them in a modern day setting to really good use. Okay, there's probably something here. And so, yeah, that ended up becoming get out of my head 
the how to creating modern clarity using stoic wisdom. I love it. So let me ask you this, because, you know, I know I was originally a journalist. And one of the things I did to take back my own headspace was to stop following the news, the daily news cycle, because it was really detrimental to my mental health, my quality of life. And, oh, God, and then I lost my question, which was much more interesting than that fact. But I was thinking about, yes, did you happen to come across any information on the impacts on people when they are so distracted by all this other noise and how it affects the quality of their lives? Absolutely. So that's one of the, how the book goes is kind of structured of this personal realization in my business or life. And then stepping back to the stoic, these people realized it 2000 years ago, and here's what they said. And then to the modern science of here's what the data shows. So data shows nearly 50% of our time, our minds are on an activity other than what we're doing. And when that's happening, (laughs) we are measurably less happy than the people who are present in the moment doing the thing they're doing. And so there's data on all these different pieces on each of them, but that would be one specific example. It's 47% of our time, our minds are not where we actually are. On the thing we're doing. Yeah. Uh huh. That's got to affect a lot of things besides happiness. It probably isn't so great. Car accidents. <laughs> productivity or safety. Exactly. Yeah. It's probably not the best. Yeah. And there, it's so funny. I was just on a call with some other colleagues and we were talking about a similar idea about something I learned from my spiritual teacher, which is just to be really present in anything you're doing and to like mindfully even just wash the dishes, like just really mm-hmm. paying attention as you're washing the dishes and being aware and being present with it and not washing the dishes and thinking about what you're going to do next and, or thinking about what somebody said to you 10 minutes ago or whatever. And I mean, how does that is, do they have anything to say about how that affects us? And like, why does that impair our joy when we're not present or why is it better? Why are we happier when we are present? Yeah. So the, I think it's, because of what you end up spending that time thinking about. So that 47% is whether you're thinking about another time, I wish I was back to this other time. And you're not feeling the joy of the other time, you're feeling the loss of not being at that time now. Mm -hmm. Or spending that time, I wish I wasn't here, or I'm going to have to do this later, right? Like the 47%, you could be doing the most lovely activity. You could be playing with your children But if you're thinking about the report you're going to have to turn in to the client the next week, by definition, you're taking the joy out of that moment because I think it's part that we're not present and living the joy of the moment and then part where our mind goes. So the Buddhist teacher who recently passed Thich Nhat Nguyen had said, it's not, I think, therefore I am. It's, I think too much. Therefore, I'm not there to live my life. And I think it's very much that the joy comes from the presence, from actually living, not thinking about living or what life could be. Right. Or whatever the other is. So it's like the grief over like, oh, that moment has passed. But then there's also, I think the other place that we get in trouble is regret. Mm -hmm. Thinking of a bad decision that we made and regretting that and beating ourselves up for that. I mean, that also would steal your joy. Absolutely. I mean, what I found, there are kind of three big buckets that we end up giving our mind away to. 
And it's one, the most obvious is other people. Somebody did something, somebody said something, you know, even Taylor Swift had the line, rent-free living in my mind, right? From an ex, that she was giving that ex headspace in her mind rent-free. And so that's probably the most obvious example. And then the second is events and circumstances outside our control. Oh my God, COVID. Oh, this tragedy, whatever it is that it is, but we can't do anything about it. So how are you going to respond? How do you react? And then the third one, I think is one you've touched on a lot is the most common, but maybe the most difficult, which is different versions of ourselves. Oh, past me or future me, or this me that could be, or if only these things happen, or if only I could be this person. That's a really difficult one. So what is it about that one that's, when you say difficult, what do you mean by difficult? Let me, Mm -hmm. let me go there first. Difficult to break. I think it's easier to make things outside of us to have those barriers. Right. But when it's inside and you're trying <laughs> to create those barriers, it, it is a little trickier and the work is sometimes less obvious at how to get there. Yeah. Right. It's that wherever you go, there you are. Idea. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, there's that thought again. I turned off the TV, but there's that thought again. <laughs> I mean, going yeah. back to mindfulness, you know, Ellen Longer, who kind of brought mindfulness in the non-Eastern religious way of mindful being that fully present and the opposite being mindless. So doing things mindlessly, just eating, but not tasting the food, washing the dishes, but not remembering that you did it. And that does end up being the difficult part. Yeah. Cause it's in your own mind and it's your own stories and your own tapes sometimes that have been playing for as long as you can remember. So it definitely. Yeah. And I mean, in a time where we almost live with headphones in, right? We're doing this over Zoom or people have AirPods and they're listening to music or podcasts or whatever it is of they're doing that while they're doing something else and they're not fully present for either one. And we get very uncomfortable. It's where I think a lot of people have a hard time with meditation. Hey, look, it helps your lifespan. It increases gray matter in your brain. Here are all the benefits. You just need to sit down for five minutes a day. And people say, it's not worth it. Right? Right. <laughs> and and there, there's studies of that too, of huh. having to sit with your own thoughts and people would rather push a button and give themselves an electrical shock than have to sit there and not be allowed to do something and distract themselves. Really? Yes. Wow. We're so uncomfortable sitting and just being in our own thoughts. I have never heard that one. That's voluntarily push to say, nope, shock me. I'd rather do that than sit here. Wow. That's disturbing, actually. It is. is. (laughs) It's not getting better. I mean, it's you go back of how do we get here, right? Like if this is so bad, then why are we here? And if you think of we're primitive animals on the savannah in this immediate return environment that I didn't need to take in the 11 million bits of data my mind's processing. I need the 50 bits right there. Is that thing rustling a tiger? I need a fight flea free. Right. <laughs> and we don't live in that world anymore. Right? Yeah. For the past, we were humans around 200, 250,000 years and society for a couple thousand. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you had Taoism coming up with these ideas. You had Stoicism coming up with these ideas. You had Buddhism coming up with these ideas at that time. Because once you moved into society and we had this long-term return environment, not immediate return, but long-term of, hey, I need to 
harvest my crops so that I can mm-hmm. store them for years later and then build right. wealth and have children. Our brains have not caught up to evolutionarily how we operate in society. And you look at the creation of data now. I was going to say, you multiply that like the last, well, like 150 years would be one stage, but then even the last 20, 25 years, I mean, the just last five. I mean, the last five years. Yeah. 2017, more data was created in 2017 than all of human history before 2017. <laughs> and more is getting, and the acceleration is increasing more rapidly now. Yeah. Wow. And so it's bad news and it's getting worse, right? Yeah. Which is how we ended up where we are. But it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, that's incredible. So as I'm thinking about, as I'm listening to you, of course, I'm thinking about people writing books. And one of the things that I'm thinking about is the kind of resistance that shows up, right? And as you were saying, like people would rather receive an electric shock than sitting alone with their thoughts. Well, guess what you have to do to write a book? (laughs) It's pretty much 80% sitting alone with your thoughts. It is. But I mean, that's where art's created, right? Is in the discomfort, whether it's writing or painting or poetry, like any of it. If it's not in that uncomfortable space, then it's doubtful you're creating something new and meaningful. Right, right. So let's just take that as an example. Like, even from your own book writing experience, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you recall, because I know from working with dozens of people or hundreds of people over the years, that everybody, when they're writing a book, they hit a point and you never know when it's going to happen. Sometimes it's in the concept development stage and they never get past it because they just can't even get themselves to focus there. Sometimes before they sign a book deal or before the book comes out, but everyone has a freak out moment. And so I'm wondering, as I'm thinking about this idea through the lens of what you're talking about, do you recall a point when you were writing your book, you know, you felt that discomfort and had to bring yourself back into the present? I think it's been for me more since completing the book. Oh, okay. Because it tells other people's stories. Uh-huh. And I just hope the end product, because now I can't touch it. Now it's but yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's not out yet. So now place. it's now it's hitting you. Got it. So before yeah. the release, that's right. Yeah. And just hoping I did justice to these people who gave me their time and have these amazing stories that I think can really be helpful and did it in a way that has the benefit for other people. And that's this level of uncertainty, right? This is my first book to publish. I've written other books, but they've never had an audience. And so this time I'm going through this whole part and that it's not just me on the line. It's all these other people and just making sure that I'm doing right by them. Mm Mm-hmm. And so how do you deal with those thoughts when they come up? Realizing that I can't do anything about it. (laughs) That ship has sailed, right? Like there was a time to worry about that. And there was a time to work on that. And that was the process and the journey of writing the book and of editing the book and of working Mm -hmm. with the publishers and getting their story and going back and forth with the people in it. But at some point, you just let it sail. That is what it is. Now, maybe there'd be future versions and say, hey, I really need to rework this part or I missed a chapter here, but that's not right now. So just knowing the time and place. So how do you manage that when that comes up? Do you have like a mantra that you tell yourself or do you have any suggestions in your book for how people can deal with these thoughts when they are squatting on their brains? 
Yes, that is one thing I tried to do, or that I did do in the book is that it's 13 chapters of specific manifestations of how you can let other people live in your head and how not to do that. So knowing your own value, say, or setting your boundaries and how to go about that. And each chapter closes with worksheets and templates of, okay, here's the exercise. And not only here's the exercise, but here's paper to actually work through it. So say setting your boundaries, a good way that I found to do it is where do you actually want to allocate your time and mind? They should go together, Mm. right? So where do you want to put it? What is your ideal calendar? And then there's a question of, am I spending my time in that way? Let me look at that. But then there's a separate mind audit of even if my time's going in these buckets, where was my mind at this? Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's this question, if you're reading this book, like, where is your mind now? And don't say it's reading this book because I know nearly 50% of you, you're thinking about something else. So be honest with your mind right now. And it gets back to what we started with, right? That mindfulness of being able to every now and then take that pause to say, okay, where am I right now? Am I fully present in this thing that I want to be doing or not? And it's not a one and done exercise, right? It's a constant audit and practice of, yeah. You can't become mindless about being mindful. That's so true. It really, it's a practice and it's a lifelong practice, right? You never like get it. It gets easier, I guess, if you really practice it consistently, but you can't really ever say, oh, now it's just going to run itself. Right. I think you become better at noticing your triggers. And noticing, I forget who said it, but they had this line of, anyone who thinks they're enlightened, just go have dinner with your family. Because <laughs> like, it's all the triggers. It's everything from childhood. It's everything from your whole life is like compound. <laughs> and so it's not that you don't do it anymore. It's that you notice, oh, I'm breathing a little shallower. Why is that? What is it? Like before I speak now, what is going on? And just knowing when your body starts changing, your mind's changing, they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And being really mindful and, and noticing what's going on, I think is that first starting point when you're in the moment. Because you can't always just say, let's stop this. I'm going to go meditate for 10 minutes. I'll be right back. No, you can <laughs> You know, you can get good at just meditating, like without people knowing you're meditating. You know, <laughs> you yeah. just got to sit there. Yeah. <laughs> True. You're mindfully not present in that moment. <laughs> you're mindfully, you're, you're, uh, well, you're this. present, but you're not outwardly focused, right? You're yeah. not trying to control the situation. You're just more there yeah. as an observer. Yeah. And observing yourself in the situation. I just keep thinking of my spiritual teacher using the term, he says, try practicing the duct tape mudra. <laughs> just, I'm putting my hand over my mouth. <laughs> to mimic the duct tape mudra. Because I was thinking about like, if you're in a situation where somebody's saying or doing something where you're triggered, especially if you have an ongoing relationship, but really in any case, yeah, it often it's just better to not open your mouth and just observe your own reactions and just keep breathing. And Especially because it's not them and what they said or did that's the problem. It's how you're reacting. It's yeah. the story you're <laughs> coming up with after that. And that ends up being the problem. 
Yeah. Other people could, oh, this is funny. Oh, this, you know, there could be all these other reactions, but no matter how wrong that person may be in that situation, it doesn't, you losing control of your own mind and your own emotions and your own control is not helping the situation, right? right. Don't give that over to them just because they may have slipped up. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't slip up yourself. Yeah. So where else does this kind of, I mean, I know this probably shows up everywhere, having our minds taken over by whatever it is that's going on around us or even in our past or imagined futures. What are some other ways that maybe you saw this show up or that you would imagine it would show up for an author when they're in the process of trying to write a book or writing a book? At every single step, right? So I would start with why do you want to write a book in the first place? Is it you love writing? In which case, does it have to be a book? You can just sit and start writing. Why have you created this label of the book? And I think there's so much we want stuff without realizing why we want it. Mm. Do we want it because we think that's going to give us validation? Oh, all these people we respect have also written books, so we want to do it. Oh, I think it's going to help my speaking, or I think it's going to make me famous, whatever that means, right? Like, but knowing any of those could be the answer. But knowing why, and are you comfortable with the why? That would be one of, have you given the why to someone outside of yourself? Was that why mindful in your head that you decided what that why is? And then in knowing that and in writing it, are you writing for into a specific audience? Is that audience you? And how are you doing that? Because again, it's all in your mind as you're writing. And sure, you'll have your group that you put early drafts in front of and get the feedback. But as you brought up before, you know, there's nothing more lonely than just you on a blank page. And who is in your mind as you're writing? Oh, yes. Yes. So and important. Then, and then I think through the editing process too, of this balance, not necessarily a balance, but equilibrium maybe is a better word of criticism as a gift. Okay. Let me not get defensive. Where is the kernel of truth here? How could this be better? This is what I want this person to think or feel when they read this, but this person's not, right? How do I make that better? But at the same time, going back to the why and your audience, knowing what you don't want to compromise on and say, hey, no, I'm really standing behind this. I get that that may make my audience smaller. That may not resonate with this group, but this is very important to me. And it can't be all one or the other. Right. And that's why I didn't like the balance because it's not 50-50. That delivery right. is going to be entirely personal to you and what that why was to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, we talked about once it's out of your control and, oh my God, I just, I just found this. I really want to say to this, or I just, I just came up this new way to phrase this other thing, right? Like <laughs> turning off the mind of that. Okay, that project's done. Yeah. Where's a productive place to put your mind now? And, you know, intermediary steps all, all along the way, but it really yeah. is. That, those are, those are great sort of mental milestones for sure. For sure. Yeah. And once it's out, I don't know because I haven't gotten through that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Part two. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. There's so many great nuggets in there. And I was even thinking of with this idea of feedback and being critiqued and getting suggestions. I think it's not even just with your editor. Usually the first time that happens is with your literary or first of all, maybe your book coach, you know, or if you have a ghostwriter, but 
even the literary agent, right? Like when we submit a proposal, Earl was submitting the best proposal based on what we know, but agents are the ones talking to editors every day. And so often an agent will have an insight that, you know, a tweak that could really help make the book saleable, but then it's up to the author to say, does this take me off brand? Does this take me off message? Or is this something I could incorporate and, and still feel good about? And so, yeah. And also the publishers, right? Like when you're shopping it to publishers, some editors might have ideas of how they'd like to tweak it again, right? right? And then you still have to weigh. And I think the points you brought up are the right things to be asking yourself. On that agent point, I mean, that does resonate with me because I want to say back kind of 2016, I had an idea for a book of growing up sharing. It was the rise of Airbnb and Uber and all these others. And so talking about how when we're kids, we're much better at sharing. And then we get into this society of scarcity and it's all about competition. And maybe now we've actually evolved back to children as a society where we could share. And so it was trying to get into the scientific, like why sharing makes sense is culture. And so try to shop that book and never got picked up. Right. So I never wrote it. And so I actually in 2019 tore my meniscus and had surgery. And so I was, couldn't really move for a while. So I wrote a book called the startup Stoic. I had just had this idea of founding lessons of from you have the idea to quitting your job to all this and taking stoic principles through selling the company or shutting it down right and this whole journey and so i just was like i'm just going to write this book i'm not shopping i'm not doing it i'm just going to write it to get it down and then i wrote it and started talking to agents and the agent i ended up signing with said look this is good you can write but your venn diagram of who you're going after of stoics that are founding companies you can do something better. You can do something bigger. Like these ideas that you have can be bigger and better. Yeah. And I think that's when I had that conversation with my friend, that's where my mind was going. I was like, what is the bigger thing? And then that's looking around. Okay, wait, all of society is having to deal with this, not just startup founders. This is a bigger thing. And so instead of taking that and say, oh, they don't understand me. I'm an artiste. Like actually take <laughs> what is the truth in this? What is the valuable gift that they're giving me with this criticism Uh opened me up to where I ended up getting. Yeah. It's so important to be able to receive feedback and really seriously consider it and not take it personally when you're entering a world that you're unfamiliar with, especially, right? (laughs) It's like a mentor and the journey, the hero's journey. Nobody gets there without their mentor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or several mentors, right? Along the way. Learning to be a good mentee is much more difficult than I think I ever realized. It's much easier, I think, to be a mentor because you say, oh, like, here's my experience. Let me just tell you about my experience. But knowing how to get the most from someone else's experience, someone else's wisdom, that's actually, maybe it's a personality thing. That can be very difficult to have that student mindset of I'm here to actually learn how do, and not in a classroom way or normally where you can just read a book, like it's all set out or a classroom has a syllabus and you follow the structure. But as a student, you're having to create the path, right? Like it's like where, you know, those free study programs where you have to come up with the curriculum. I would mm-hmm. imagine the people who did that kind of stuff would be really great mentees because they've gone through, hey, what am I trying to learn? Where would I learn this? How do I go about it? seems like that'd be a really useful skill to have. I think the best mentees make really great mentors also, right? Because 
you have that experience of, I think if you've never been a mentee, it's probably not a good idea to do a lot of mentoring. <laughs> Let me put it that way. That makes sense. Right. It could be dangerous. <laughs> People have done it totally wrong way. Yeah. Cause you do, I've had several key mentors in my life and they've all made such a huge contribution, you know, but if you're close to feedback, then you, yeah. Yeah. And some of my most impactful mentors, I'm not sure if they would even know that they were mentors. Right. Right. It's how much I was taking away and then implementing in my own life from our conversations. I think they thought we were just catching up. Right. (laughs) I'm taking notes in my mind. Like, Oh my God. Okay. Now let me ask this. And yeah, it may surprise me. Say, whoa, okay. <laughs> I don't even remember saying that. And I was like, well, I certainly remember you saying it, and it had this huge impact for me. Yeah. I imagine you've probably had some people come back to you and say something similar, right? Yeah, it is funny. For so much of my life, people would be like, oh, you're like my Boswell, because I would just have these direct quotes. So it's like, oh, you said this. You know, remember back 13 years ago when you said this, and hey, here's this. Oh, wow. I remember when. <laughs> in, Winter of 2000, there was just this snow. And then you told me, like, why are you going to practice if all you want to do is make snow angels? And you're like, why do you remember these conversations? <laughs> they had really impactful. And so it is interesting when you get that on the other side. Yeah. And when I can't remember it, right? Right. Like, I'm I, used you know, to that's happened to me a couple of times. And I'm like, I did? Okay. Well, you're welcome. And I'm right. <laughs> walking away like, did I? I don't. But, okay. If they say I did, it was probably me. <laughs> I'll take the compliment. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So, you know, I wish your book was out so I could ask you more specific questions about what you're telling us in the book. I'm happy so, to answer anything. Yeah. So, I mean, what have I not asked you about that you think would be important to include here today? Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends if it's specific to the book and like, why this book? Who would it benefit? And, yeah, sure. Let's go. Yeah, that's a know, good. There's one side of, you could see it as just this corporate thing. The founder of DocuSign or these others that put these stoic practices, but it's sports, like it's Olympians and first time people or social impact, like Bernice King with the King Center. And so it's really about crafting the life you want, right? A better life is only better if it's better to you, right? So you need to know what fulfillment would look like for you, what success quote would mean to you. And unless you're controlling your mind, you're going to give way to other people's definitions of these things. Yeah. And that's a really sad place to be. There's a brony, the regrets of dying. And the number one one was not living the life I wanted to, right? Like not being true yeah. to myself in my life. Yeah. yeah. And very few people realize that till very late. Because you get so indoctrinated by whatever you're around, however you were raised or where you went to school or where you're working or the friend group you have, that so much of our life is spent and defined by other people. Hence that really uncomfortable feeling and wanting to get shocked instead of be by yourselves, that being able to take that time to clear out all that clutter and really define it for yourself permeates and benefits every single aspect of your life. Yeah. And as you were saying that, it made me think of a potential reason why people would rather have an electric shock than be left alone with their thoughts is that if you are not distracted, you might actually start thinking about what you actually want. And that could 
have cataclysmic impacts on the life you've set up. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, you think of all the things that how a lot of people are, they think about all the things they lose and we give up in pursuing that without oftentimes looking at the other side of the equation of what am I gaining? And on that quote loss, do I think that's a loss? Is that a loss to me? Do other people think it's a loss and do I care? Adam Grant had a, a tweet the other day of success means no longer trying to impress your high school friends. <laughs> being able to get past that and you're doing it for yourself, not what you think other people will find impressive or whatever it is. Yeah. Or not for approval, right? Of your peer group, your family, whatever that might be. Yeah. I mean, so much of our life is, whether it's called approval or acceptance, right? It's just seeking of, hey, it's a very scary place to be alone in a community, in a society. And I want to belong. And so you find this so few people live their authentic lives. And as a result, almost nobody's happy. They're all trying to be something they think other people want them to be and think, oh, well, my boss wants this. And the boss isn't living an authentic life because the boss is like, well, this is what they expect me to do. <laughs> Everybody's miserable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. We have all the tools when we're born to own our mind right? Like that's the irony of the only empire that matters is the one of your mind. Be emperor of your mind or empress of your mind. And you're almost as kids, you can see kids get so focused, right? They just get into it and they enjoy it and they love it for the love of the play. And for some reason, it's like with financial wealth, we build through life. And with mental wealth, we seem to attrite it as we Mm -hmm. go. And so it's as much of just like stopping that sliding. And then how do we reverse the trend to build it back up? Because it's all there. We don't need anybody else to help us get it. We have the tools. I think there's just a lot of fear that people experience around change, around letting go of even something they don't want. And it is a scarcity mentality because, you know, if you spend any time at all in the entrepreneurial space, especially like the solopreneur coach consultant space that I've been in for a couple of decades, It's the biggest roadblock that people have to really step into and commit to that venture if they're struggling at all, because there's just so much fear around what they think they might lose if they don't make it. That's a tough thing, right? Their perception of self of, I am a smart, successful person. And if I go do this and it doesn't end up exactly how I imagine it should be now, does that blow up my entire identity of myself? Mm-hmm. And it's, this is back to that regretting the things you didn't do, yeah. one, but it's easier for that person to say, oh, you know, I really could have played in the majors if I had given it my all. Right, right. <laughs> right then yeah. to have given it their all and still not have made it. Right. And it's not. That's this false hail that we tell ourselves till we get to the end and say, no, that wasn't better. The whole time I was regretting that I'd never tried that thing. But because I was so scared of protecting my identity of myself and so afraid of what, quote, failure would mean. Well, no, failure was not trying it. Failure wasn't not achieving it when you tried it. The failing wasn't not trying in the first place, whatever mm-hmm. that was. I mean, in the entrepreneurship or sure. whatever it is. Yeah, that's so true. And or not writing your book, right? I mean, that's, I think a lot of those fears, right? Like 
I want to be an author, but maybe somebody's imagining themselves as a New York Times bestseller and they're selling millions of copies and they can quit their job and move to the Maldives or whatever it is. But that's probably not going to happen. Right. <laughs> right? And maybe they allow that to stop themselves, even though there's so many other ways to be successful, you know, very Ooh. all or nothing kind of thinking, I guess is what we're talking about a little bit there. And back to why you want it. Right. So yeah, exactly that bohemian yeah. lifestyle, you go read a movable feast and you're like, I want to be an author because I want to live that Ernest Hemingway life in Paris and the Bella Epoch and, you know, just amazing and having dinner at Gertrude Stein's and then going hanging out with F. Scott Fitzgerald and then go to a writing workshop and all these people published tons of books, published, published, and they did it while they were working. Right. Like, <laughs> the life of an author to be an author means you write. And it's not yeah. this lifestyle. It's that you actually write. And <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I can do that. <laughs> Let me just start <laughs> writing, right? Like, I don't need all these other things to change and to move to Paris and to live in these cafes. I can just sit down and start writing. And yeah. not always publishable, right? Like, I wrote a novel years ago that no one's ever read. I've written three screenplays that no one's ever read. <laughs> but to be a writer just means you write. This is true. This is true. And there's also a lot of value in just writing what's present. One of my favorite books is The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which you're probably familiar with. And, you know, the concept of just three pages every morning of whatever comes to mind, that's one of my best exercises to actually get all the renters out of my head. <laughs> right? Nine pages. Yeah. Because you just write what's there and then it's there and you've written it down and you can leave it. It takes it all. Yeah. There's science behind that too, actually. Oh, yeah? Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a great book, The Organized Mind. Oh, yeah. and I, oh, being a Virgo, that's pretty much nirvana for me. I might have to go get that book. It really is. It's very good. I mean, it equates a lot of what we do kind of like RAM on a computer and getting it off the short-term memory. And so the physical act of writing. Mm -hmm. is actually super helpful. And, you know, back to getting out of my head and where we spend our time thinking of what we should be doing or this thing we forgot and getting away from to-do lists that are a single page writing down, but is note cards. Because then you can reshuffle them, you can throw them away, you can reorder, you can do all this stuff and you yeah. just take it from your mind, write it on the note card. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's like seven good. years ago, yeah. I still, still use a lot of it. I do something similar, although I don't do the note cards, which probably would help me because I often think of things when I'm in all kinds of different locations, but I try to sit down once a week and just do a brain dump, mm. and just write down every single thing that I've ever thought that I might need to accomplish or get done. <laughs> and then I can look at it and I can decide, okay, what do I actually want to follow through on? And then I put it in my, you know, I use Asana, but whatever, yeah. Basecamp, whatever, you know, Slack, oh, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then it's there. And then I can delegate it to someone on my team or I can do it myself or whatever. But because it's so exhausting just to carry this stuff, right? And I don't know about you, but like I can think of something and then two seconds later, and it's like an important thing. I'm like, oh yeah, I got to do that. And then two seconds later, it's gone. <laughs> That's why, I mean, I show you, I have, it's a stack of note cards with right? a paper clip, like a, you know, a binder clip. Like a clip. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it's my back pocket. I'm very analog. It's right. Yeah. My stack. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then it's just exhausting. If you don't get it out, it's taking energy from you. Definitely. It really is. Cause your mind's like, Hey, you really don't want to forget this. Yeah. And so you're burning energy on that. So you're not able to give your full mind to the next thing, to what you want to do. And so that's mm -hmm. really the analog writing it down just clears that off. And your mind's now comfortable of, Hey, I know you're not going to forget this. I can exactly. give it all to this next thing. Exactly. Exactly. That's such a powerful tool. I learned it just to give credit where it's due. I learned that technique from Sally McGee's book, Take Back Your Life, Okay, which she was a productivity consultant for Microsoft for a number of okay. years. It's a great book on like how to organize tasks and help you get more done in less time. And a big part of it is getting these ideas. Stop trying to warehouse everything in your brain that right. you have to do and get it down into a software <laughs> somewhere like you can. Get it off your, <laughs> off the gray matter. <laughs> yeah, other way, I mean, it is like a computer running 50 different programs at one time. Like, right. what's that going to do yeah. to performance? It's not going to be good. Exactly. All right. So any parting thoughts, Andrew? Because I cannot believe we've talked as long as we have, but we've covered a lot of ground. So any uh, parting thoughts for our listeners? No, I mean, it certainly would appreciate any feedback if anybody does read the book and any thoughts on it. My website is mandrewmcconnell.com. And so find me there. You can send me a message there. Different ways that you've had people get in your head or different ways you've gotten people or ideas out of your head. I would love to hear them. Great. And just as a reminder to our listeners, Andrew's book is called Get Out of My Head, Creating Modern Clarity with Stoic Wisdom. And it will be released on June 14th of 2022. So, Andrew, thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us today all these incredible thoughts and ideas. And thank you for being on The Office Corner. Thank you for having me, Robin. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.